because we draw close to God, well, then we are going to see greater miracles in our life than we have ever seen before. It's such an exciting time to me. Such an exciting time to live for God, to know God, to love God. Uh, Right when uh, we first shut our church down with the pandemic, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, you're going to see more miracles in the next year than you have ever seen. More healing miracles. And I'm telling you, we have. We have seen so many miracles. So many miracles. Sometimes we just need to have a testimony service and talk about all the miracles that we've seen. You know, uh, so we're going to talk about Abraham this morning. Abraham, how he drew close to God. Abraham was called the friend of God. He's called the father of our faith. And, you know, a friendship is formed through conversation. You can't really be friends with somebody you never talk to. And the more you talk to a person, the more you decide if they want to be your friend or if they don't want to be your, you don't want to be their friend. You love everybody, but you're not friends with everybody. Jesus loves everybody, but he's not friends with everybody. In fact, he told his disciples one time, he said, I used to call you my servants, but now you're my friends. And so it's a progression from knowing somebody or from knowing Jesus to serving Jesus to actually becoming his friend. Uh, you know, every church has a, uh, a spirit about that church. A spirit about that church. And usually it's the heart of the pastor, where the God dealt with that pastor, where he got saved, what his motives are. And the motive of our church in Camden is we are a church that we reach out to people. They used to tell us, yes, y'all will take people nobody wants. They used to tell us that. Back in the uh, early 70s, they called us the drug church. Because nearly everybody in our church had been delivered from drugs. And all those drug addicts would come out to the church when we were young, in our early 20s. I was actually uh, 21 when we started preaching in Camden. And uh, uh, they would get delivered and they would come to the church, bring their drugs. We'd burn them, (laughs) you know. And uh, uh, But the, the heart of victory is God will take anybody and change them. He will take any, he doesn't care about anything except that we love him. And that's all it takes for him to do a miracle in us is for us to love him. And you know, there have been people that have come through the church at Camden Victory that we would have to tell them, you know, you really don't have the heart of victory. We had a lady one time that they were having an early morning prayer meeting. And they would come real early and pray. And so this woman got it in her heart. She was going to lay hands on people and cast all these demons out. And she was hitting people. Physically hitting them. And so they would come down and they'd say, she hit me. So I called her in the office and I said, I said, you know, that is not the heart of victory. That's not the way we believe that you love people. And she said, oh, the Holy Ghost tell me to do that. And I said, oh, no. The Holy Ghost is not going to tell you to do something in this church that he tells us is wrong. You don't have the heart of victory, and you need to go find a church that's got your heart, because it's not us. And so she left, but she never did find a church with her heart. (laughs) But um, what we want to do is we want to 
find the next step to draw closer to God than where we are now. That's what we're always looking for is that next step. So in Genesis 12, when the Lord came to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I want you to leave all your family and I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us before that whether any of Abraham's family or Abraham had had any dealings with God. We don't know. There's no record of him, record of any of his family. So this was probably a first encounter with Abraham. And see, I believe that God comes to everybody and asks them to follow him. He can either come through a dream, through a vision, through another person. Most of the time, I think it's through another person. That they'll come to us and say, you know, Jesus wants to come into your heart. He wants to be your Savior. And we either accept that or we reject it, you know. And people who reject it, then they may not get another encounter with God. But if we accept it and we get saved, that's just the beginning of my nose. is itching. It's been itching since I got here this morning. Uh uh, so that's just the very beginning step toward drawing close to God. And um, that's why you see a lot of people come into church and get saved and then you never see them again. See, because they don't make that next step to draw close to God. And then they'll get out in the world and their life will fall apart and they'll come back to church and get saved again. And then they'll, you don't see them anymore. You see, because we've got to always be making that next step to get our miracle. See, and every one of us has something that we want, that we can't do, that only God can do it. Only God. Only God can change our mate. Only God can save our children. Only God can give us a job that we love and that we love going to work every day. Only God can give a, and uh, and he knows the deepest desire of our heart and he wants to fulfill that desire the bible says he put that desire in our heart and he wants to fulfill that desire but he cannot do it if we do not draw close to him keep making that next step closer and that next step closer so when the lord came to abraham the lord told abraham this he said abraham i want you to take your family and i want you to get up and i want you to leave And see, when you first get saved, that is something you have to do if your family is not living for God. You have got to separate yourself from your family. That don't mean you don't love them and minister to them, but you don't party with them. You don't drink with them. You don't smoke with them. You don't do all the things that lost people do with them. You separate yourself. That's In fact, that's what the church word church means, a separated group that gathers. You join yourself to the body of believers where the Holy Spirit leads you. And that becomes your spiritual family. And if you continue to run around with them, fellowship with your friends, they're going to drag you right back into that sin. You've got, I, I was telling them earlier, I said, last weekend, a, a guy in the church came to me. He's one of our leaders and he was crying. He was so heartbroken. His family had been treating him so bad during the holidays, and he was just so upset about it. And I said, don't you realize that you are called into the ministry? You will never be like the rest of your family. God calls one person out. I said, you need to study the life of Joseph. God called Joseph out of a family that mistreated him and didn't love him, 
and set him apart so that he could save his family. If you do not separate from the lost people in your family, fellowship wise, you will never save them. You're just like, you'll be just like them. But if you will separate yourself and join the family of God, get in the church the Holy Spirit leads you to, make that your spiritual family, then you will be able to win your lost family. You will be able to draw them to the family of God. And so, Abraham, God said, and I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And in all the people on earth, you will be, will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. So the first step of drawing close to God is obedience. You know, the Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. A lot of people think that they're sacrificing. They get up and they go to church every Sunday and they've done their religious due, you know. And then they do what they want to the rest of the week and they don't obey God at all. And see, sacrifice, obedience is better than sacrifice. And so when Abraham obeyed God, this promise became his promise. God began to work in his life to bless everything that he did. And if anybody cursed him... They would be cursed. Now, God doesn't do anything evil. You know that. He has never done anything evil, and he will never do anything evil because he can't. He's God. But what he does do is he will back up, and guess who will curse you? Satan is standing there waiting to kill, steal, and destroy it from us every minute of our life. And the only reason he hasn't already killed us is because God has protected us. But see, when we attack people... That are under the blessing of God. We lose God's protection. God has to back up because he always obeys his own word. And the devil will destroy you. And I could stand here and give you I don't know how many testimonies. Of people that have verbally attacked during the I mean gone after us with an ugly vengeance. And what happened to them? I mean, Jordan and I have seen it over and over. We saw it just happen two weeks ago. And so, when you are in God's blessing, you don't have to worry about people not liking you or attacking you or mistreating you. But if you are the one who's doing the attacking and the mistreating and the bullying of God's people, you better be afraid because God keeps his word. So Abraham did what the Lord told him. And, and when he got to where he was going, let me go to the next verse. He, when he got to Bethel where he was going, the, the second encounter with God was he built an altar. When he got out to Moreh in uh, Hebron, he built an altar. I uh, see an altar is built out of stones. In the Bible it says you cannot cut them and make them beautiful. You pick up broken rocks and they would build an altar. Because it's the broken life that we bring to him that is our altar. We all have an ugly, nasty past. I don't care who we are, where we came from. We all have an ugly, nasty past. And we've got to take those ugly things that we did and that people did and build that altar. And we've got to lay our body down on that altar and become a living sacrifice. 
a living. And the word altar means die. That's what the word altar means, die. See, the cross was Jesus' altar. And he died for all of our sins so that we could receive life and life more abundantly. So when we bring ourselves to that altar and we lay our, we bring all of our, the ugly parts of us and lay them, build an altar and lay our body down there, then the sin in our life has got to die. See, we didn't get instantly sanctified when we got saved. Our spirit did, but our flesh did not. Our mind, our soul, our thinking, our will did not become saved. The Bible says it becomes saved by the renewing of the mind by the word. So we have to lay ourselves on that altar and we have to say, Holy Spirit, kill everything in me that is not like Jesus. Kill it. And the Bible says the Holy Ghost will mortify, kill the deeds of our flesh if we ask him to. He won't do it if we don't ask him. So Abraham built this altar and he learned to worship. Worship is not playing music. It's not singing music. You'll do those things when you worship. But worship is every word and every thought that comes out of you glorifying God. Doing it God's way. Saying it God's way. And you know, when you lay your life down on that altar, you're gonna, what God's gonna do is He's gonna begin to deal with your childhood issues. Most of our sin comes from our childhood issues. Things that we were taught as children and decisions we made as children that were wrong decisions, and then we've carried them into adulthood. And they affect all of our relationships. And those things are deep rooted in us. They're rooted in who we are. And they've got to die. See, that sin cannot die as long as the thought is there. For instance, if you were abandoned by a parent, the thought is, God don't love you. God don't really love you. He loves everybody else, but he doesn't really love you. And all of your relationships will be tainted by that thought. You'll always be trying to make them prove to you that they love you. You'll always be putting these little tests out there to see if they pass them to prove that they really love you. And that destroys relationships. See? Or let's say your childhood issue may be that uh, uh, your, your mother did not submit to your father. She was very rebellious and self-willed. So you grow up thinking that's okay. So that's the way you, as a wife, treat your husband. You do not do what he asks you to do. You do not submit to him. And you're deceived and self-righteous. See, rebellion is witchcraft. And every time that we disobey God, we're that witch stirring that pot. And if you're the man... And your mother was rebellious to her husband. Then you go to work on your job and you rebel against your boss. And you don't do what your boss wants you to do. What he asks you to do. So you're the witch stirring that pot on that job. And then your children grow up with that warped sense of what love really is. And they get married and it destroys their relationships. 
And on and on it goes. And the only way to keep that from happening is we've got to go to the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? Do it the way Jesus. So when Abraham obeyed God, God said, I am going to bless you. Everybody in your life will be blessed. Do you know how to know if you're obeying God? Are you blessing the people in your life or are you cursing them? Does everybody that knows you feel blessed? Except the people that are controlled by the devil and they don't love nobody. (laughs) Are you the witch in your household stirring that pot of rebellion that keeps strife going on in your family all the time? See, we got to lay ourselves down on that altar and we got to say, Holy Ghost, kill this thing in me. This thing came into me as a child. I was taught this as a child, and it's got to be pulled out by the roots. Those of you that are gardeners, you know, some weeds, you can just pluck them up. But some weeds, you've got to get a hold of that thing and pull and pull and pull. And it's not easy to get that thing out because it's got some roots. Childhood issues are roots. A root system that affects everything in your life. And what happens is, any area in your life that you're not being obedient, that's where your maturity and your growth stops. That's where you stop growing as a Christian. And the only way you know that is by going to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One time, I bought a new Bible, and I went to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I marked every commandment of Jesus so that every day I could just go through it and quickly read, Am I obeying this? Am I obeying this? Am I obeying this? Am I obeying this? You don't go very far till you hit one you're not obeying. <laughs> I didn't anyway. <laughs> and it's such a good feeling when you get through five pages and, oh, I'm obeying. And then you hit that sixth page. Uh-oh. You get that one. You lay down on the altar and you get that and killed. Then you go six pages, you know. The scripture that where Jesus said, agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way. To the judge, or at least the judge will find you guilty and you'll be put into prison until you pay the full amount. Well, that word agree there, what it really is in the Greek is be whole. Be whole with your adversary. If you're not whole, you're going to have conflict with everybody in your life. And it's not their fault, it's your fault because you're not whole. You can't stand it if somebody rejects you. You can't stand it if somebody talks down to you. You can't, and see, the devil knows that, so those are the people he's gonna send to you. People who talk down to you. I used to tell Jerry Dell, do you think you're my God? (laughs) Do you think you're my God? (laughs) I won't do that anymore. (laughs) And when people, uh, and see, but when you be, when you get whole, healed, then people can do anything to you. And you can still love them and not retaliate in the flesh. Not, you know, how many of you, don't raise your hand. Growing up, your parent told you if somebody hits you, you hit them back and stand up for yourself. Did Jesus teach that? Didn't he say, turn the other cheek? Now, he didn't say you got to hang around those people all the time, did he? But if you happen to meet up on one of those people... (laughs) And they want to get violent with you. 
You don't have the right to get violent back, but you do have the right to leave. Get away from that person. You don't know how many women I've told to leave their husbands because they were abusers. You don't hit back. You walk out. See? Because Jesus is also our protector. So, every one of these things that we do in our life because our parents taught us to do those or because something happened to us as a child and we made the decision, you know, uh, and then we, we walk in that level of disobedience. It stops our growth with God. We must get healed. We must be whole. And the way we do that is we lay ourselves on that altar. We go to the Word of God. And everything Jesus told us to do, if we're not doing it, we ask Jesus to kill that sin in us. Kill that sin. Kill that sin. And then we, we keep going. So the next thing that happened... Um, was Abraham, there there became a famine in the land, so he went down to Egypt, and uh, Pharaoh took Abraham's wife and put her in his harem. And so the Bible says that Pharaoh came under the curse because he mistreated Abraham. And when Pharaoh realized something was bad wrong and that he was cursed, he went to Abraham and asked Abraham, and Abraham said, yes, she is my wife. He said, how could you let that happen to me? You know? So, boy, he gives his wife back, gives him all these money and animals and everything. Because, see, God proved to Abraham he keeps his word. Abraham was going to be able to travel that whole far. See, back in those days, they lived in tribes because it was the only way to be safe. You know, there was all these bandits roaming the country and they didn't have big cities. So all these families lived together to be safe. So Abraham and his family out there all by themselves was just a target. See? And so what God showed Abraham was, I am going to protect you. When you obey me, I'm going to protect you. You don't have to be afraid. You know? That is a wonderful place of peace because this day and age, you're not safe anywhere you go. <laughs> you might think you're safe in your home and somebody break in your home and shoot you. You know, you're not safe going down the road, every other car, somebody smoking pot, you know, because it's legal now. <laughs> it don't make people any less crazy. <laughs> so we need more protection than we ever needed before. You know, but God is true. It tells the truth. He said, if we obey him, he will curse anybody or let the devil do it that tries to curse us, that tries to hurt us. So that one promise alone is enough to obey him, right? (laughs) Okay. So uh, when he comes back from Egypt, gets back into the land that God told him to go to. He builds another altar. This is his second altar. And now he has another encounter with God. He calls on the name of the Lord. And he's learning to worship. His worship life is growing. His worship life is growing. Well, Lot had all these animals and Abraham had all these animals. And so their, their herdsmen got into strife. And so Abraham goes to Lot and he said, we can't have this strife. See, strife is the killer of every relationship. If you're divorced, strife did it. If your parents divorced, strife did it. 
Strife is the killer. If you're married and you're not happy, strife is killing it. See, the Bible says uh, where strife is, there is envy and every evil. In fact, every demon comes through your front door when you get into a fight with somebody. Incest, murder, adultery, all those things come in your front door when you get into a fight with somebody. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? We have to learn to shut our mouth. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, David said, I will hold my peace in the presence of the wicked. I tell my husband that every time he tries to start a fight with me. I'll quote that scripture. I'll hold my peace in the presence of the wicked. <laughs> And then if I'm the one trying to start the fight, he says, I will not fight with you. Because <laughs> you know how it is. One morning you get up and the husband starts fighting. fight. The next morning you get up and the wife starts to fight. And the next morning it's back and forth, you know. But both of us, see, Jesus said Satan can't cast out Satan. So if I'm the one trying to start the strife and he fights with me, he can't cast the strife out of me. See? You can't cast strife out of your the person that's wanting to fight with you if you fight with them. Because you're both Satan. And Satan can't cast out Satan. One of you's got to keep your mouth shut and cast out the spirit of strife. See? Okay. So Abraham said, we can't have this strife. Let's divide up. And so you know the story. Lot chose all the good ground and left the rest of it to Abraham. And Lot goes down and builds his tent in Sodom, you know. Now, see, what you've got to realize here is that God, Abraham finally, fully obeyed God. Because God told him to leave his family. But he took a lot with him. Sometimes you will keep that one friendship that you know is pulling you down. And you'll make all these excuses. Well, they've been my friends since childhood. I just feel sorry for them. They don't have nobody else. You keep that one person in your life that is keeping you in sin. And so when Lot, when, when Abraham finally obeyed God, then he got his next great promise. Remember, obedience brings the promise. You gotta obey what God told you the first time. And see, if you're at a place in your life and you know you're not growing and you know you're not being blessed, you have not obeyed something God told you to do. If you don't know what it is, just go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John until you find what it is that you are not obeying. So then, let's see. So the Lord came back to Abraham and appeared to him again after Lot had parted. And the Lord said, look around from where you are, the north, south, east, and west. All the land that you see, I'm going to give it to your children forever. And I will make your children like the dust of the earth. That if anyone can count the dust of the earth, then your children can be counted. So walk through the length, breadth, for I'm giving it to you. So the next promise that God gave Abraham, it was connected to the first one. Because God said, lead, I'm going to give you the land I show you. But now he's elaborated on that promise. Completely elaborated on. And see, that's the way God does. He, he tests us. He'll give us a promise. And if we obey, then he'll come back and he will enlarge 
that promise. And we go from glory to glory. Faith to faith, obedience, obedience, glory to glory. Okay, so then Abraham built another altar. Abraham increased his worship life. And when he laid his body down on that altar, I'm sure the Lord shared with him. Because, see, up until that point, he had not obeyed God and, and let Lot go. See? And so when he obeyed God and he let Lot go, it brought a greater promise uh, with more blessing. Okay, so in the next chapter, chapter 14, all these kings, these five kings in that country, you know, I told you they settle into kingdoms there. The Arabs still do that today. You know, they still are, they have, they have princes over their, you know, nations and over there, and they still war all the time. And, uh, so these five kings got together and they decide they're going to take every, all the land. So they go after, well, they go through and they take Sodom. They take the king of Sodom and everybody that's in it. And so word comes to Abraham that his nephew has been taken captive. So listen to what it says. It says, Abraham, Let me find it. So when Abraham heard that Lot had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household, and they went in pursuit. This is so vitally important. I would say this is the number one reason Christians are not blessed. They don't know how to do warfare. Abraham had taught his family how to do warfare. They knew how to fight. They were not just herdsmen and farmers. They could pick up a weapon and win. And unless you learn to do spiritual warfare, you will never walk into the fullness that God has for you. And a little bit, we're going to look on down there where the enemy tried to come and steal Abraham's sacrifice he was offering. And... Abraham knew how to fight it off. See, when the devil will not give you anything without a war. He will not let you have peace. He will not let you have joy. He will not let you have prosperity. He won't let you have anything without a war. And if you just quit and give up and cry and feel sorry for yourself, that's where you're going to be the rest of your life. A whiny baby. And you will never be blessed. Never. Your children will not be saved. You'll never have uh, abundant finances. You will never have a good marriage. Because you've got to fight for the promises of God. You don't fight God for them. You fight the devil. It's called the good fight of faith. It's a good fight. It's a good fight. So Abraham took his trained men... And those 318 men went and defeated all those kings and all their armies. Because God fought for them. And when you learn to do spiritual warfare, God fights for you. But as long as you whine and feel sorry for yourself and always blame it on somebody else. I tell you, I hate that spirit of blame. I'll try to talk to people about things. I go, well, so-and-so did it. I want to choke them. They are so consumed with blame and other people. Rather than rising up and being a warrior. Taking responsibility for your own spiritual life. 
Did you know you are exactly right now where you have brought yourself spiritually? If your life is in a mess, it's your fault. If you can't get your prayers answered, it's your fault. If everybody hates you, it's your fault. You've got to learn to do warfare and fight those demons off of you. You are a living sacrifice. Abraham had to fight the birds off his sacrifice. You've got to fight the demons off of yourself. That's why it says the number one sign of a believer is they cast out demons. Mark 15, it said, these signs shall follow them that believe. They cast, you learn to cast demons out of other people by first casting them out of yourself. If you can't cast anger out of yourself, you don't think you're going to cast it out of anybody else, do you? If you can't cast rebellion out of your own life, you don't think you're going to cast it out of your kids, do you? If you can't cast poverty out of your life, do you think you're going to cast it out of anybody else's life? Laziness. I could go on and on. (laughs) I remember when we first got saved, we were so poor. I was, like I said, 21, and I had four kids. One, two, three, four. And so when we moved to Camden to take that church, Georgia was working three jobs. The church didn't have any money. They couldn't even pay us a salary. And um, so I thought, well, if I get a job, I could help. But I couldn't pay daycare for four babies. You know, that was out of the question. So what I did was I found that scripture in Psalms where it says, if you meditate the word day and night, everything you do will be a success and prosper. And so every day I... I would write scriptures on my hand and I would memorize scriptures all day. I'd meditate that word. And at one o'clock every day, those four babies went down for a nap. And for one solid hour, I've studied the word of God and prayed the word of God. And then when they'd all wake up, I'd write scriptures. And I said, God, I can meditate the word day and night, even though I can't get a job, you know. But you said that if I would just meditate the word day and night to do it, that I would be prosperous. Well, uh, most of those years when we had all those kids, you know, we had five kids went to victory school. I paid tuition on five kids. We were very poor when our kids were little. The world standards. But we were very rich spiritually. But um, I would walk through stores and I would see stuff I want now. This is why I'd say, there will be a day. There will be a day I can walk in a store and buy anything that I want. There will be a day. And, you know, that day has come. I can walk in the store and buy anything I want. I'm not rich by a lot of people's means, but I'm rich by my means because I remember how poor I used to be. (laughs) A lot of people may not think I'm rich, but I do because I remember how I used to couldn't buy anything I wanted. Every penny I got was for food. I had to feed a family of eight on $35 a week. And there was money for nothing else. And so, the Word of God is true. If you meditate the Word day and night, then everything you do will prosper. Everything you do will prosper. See, the promises of God are all yes and amen. And faith plus patience inherits the promise. See? So, uh, so when Abraham won this battle, and he was coming back from the battle, and he went by Jerusalem, which was at that time called Salem, the king of Salem came out, Melchizedek. And you know, it talks about him in the book of Hebrews. Melchizedek means Michael is king. Zadok is righteousness. A lot of people believe, scholars believe that was Jesus that came out. And it said Abraham paid tithes to him. 
That's your next step of maturity. If you are not tithing, you don't really love God. Because Jesus said you can't love God and money. You either love money or you think you love God. You can't love God and money. And, of course, everybody's excuse for not telling is, well, I can't afford it. Then you're calling God a liar. And you're not going to be close to God if you're a liar. And you're a thief. See? You may have to let all that junk you bought go back. Pay your tithes and buy food for your family. I had to meet with a lady last week that was letting her kids starve. And I said, you got to, You need to pay your tithes and feed your kids. And let everything else you bought go. Because you should have never bought it. You never should have bought it. You pay your tithes and you feed your kids. And see, when you obey God, you move to your next level of maturity. God comes to you with your next big promise. So the Lord came to him with his. And then Abraham built another altar. He laid himself down on that altar and said, God, kill the sin in me. There was so much sin in him. And so the next one, the next time, the next time he built an altar, the Lord came and said, Abraham, do not be afraid. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. Amen. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. God, you will always protect me, and you will always reward me when I obey you. You will always protect me. You will always reward me with everything I want. And he has protected us and rewarded us. You know, when a few years ago when Jeremy, our oldest son, was in that explosion, and that light box blew up in his face, and he literally was on fire. And when they got him to the hospital... Uh, and his face was just burning off. His hair, he was, he was literally on fire. And uh, we were in Florida, and Cricket called us, and Cricket met the ambulance at the hospital, and they told him that Jeremy was dead. There was no hope. But see, God is our shield, our exceeding great reward. He doesn't even have a scar on his face. They grafted skin from his hands all the way up to his shoulder. And you can't even tell the skin's been grafted. See, he is our shield and our exceeding. God is faithful to his word if we obey him. Nothing makes me sicker than for people to be walking around saying, Oh, God's going to do this and God's going to do that. And I know they've got all this sin in their life and they're walking in rebellion to God. And I don't even have the heart to tell them. You know? So, then he tells him. Then he gives him his next promise. Let's see. Getting out for us to go. Uh, so then, this time, the Lord says, promises him a son. And see, the Lord knows your deepest desire. Abraham's desire was a child. That's what he wanted more than anything was a child. See, God knows what you want more than anything. You may not even know. It may be so deep down in you, you don't even know what your deepest desire is. But God knows. And so the Lord told Abraham, I'm going to give you your very own son. And at this, you know, Abraham messed up and went out and had a 
child by another woman. And he wanted this child to be his heir. And God said, no. I'm going to give you your very own son. See, Abraham was 75 years old when the Lord appeared to him the very first time. We're never too old for God to come and give us the deepest desire of our heart. You know, this Christmas, that could be your miracle. If you don't know what the deepest desire... So you might think it's money. Money don't make you happy. Look at all the rich people that kill themselves. Look at all the rich people that are just miserable. If money made you happy, they'd be the happiest people in the world. So you're believing a lie if you think that money is going to make you happy. Maybe you think it's the perfect mate. There's no such thing. <laughs> there are no perfect mates. Because we are not the perfect mate. It's the one God chose for us for us to fulfill our life with. And we have to constantly forgive each other every day. You know? We have to walk together and forgive each other and help each other grow in the Lord. Maybe you think, whatever you think it is that will really make you happy, only God knows what will really make you happy. And so when you draw close to God, he's going to come to you just like he did Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to give you your very own heir. I'm going to give you your own child. Well, see, Abraham was 99 by this time. And the Lord said to Abraham, when he came to him when he was 99 years old, and he said to him, make sure I didn't skip one. When the Lord told him this, that I am your shield, your exceeding great boy, he told Abraham how to build this altar. I mean, how to give the, he told him to take all these animals, cut them in half, and then God was going to come to him. So Abraham Cuts the animals up. What he's doing, he's teaching covenant. And and uh, so then a deep sleep. Well, while he's waiting on God to come, all these birds come and try to steal his sacrifice. Birds are demons in the Bible. And so when you make a commitment to God, you better believe the devil's going to come after you. If you're single, he's going to send you this perfect person you think is the one for you. And the devil sent them to make you quit serving God. If you're married, then he's gonna, the devil's going to bring this big, big problem into your marriage that's going to seem like that's the one that's going to end your marriage. You know, and on and on. Or you're going to get this horrible doctor's report that you can't think about getting close to God because you're so scared you're going to die. See? And so the demons are going to come to get your sacrifice. You keep laying your body on that altar saying, God, kill the sin in me. You keep reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Where am I sinning? What's my next step of obeying God so the next great promise can come? And the Lord will come to you. And he will tell you, I'm going to give you your greatest desire. Your biggest miracle. The thing you want more than anything else in life. And it may be something you knew, but it may be something you had no idea if that's what you really wanted. You know? And so, when Abraham is 99 years old, the Lord comes to him again. And he says, Abraham, this time next year you will have a child. And all during this time, you need to go read this. He's coming back and giving him greater promises. Your children are going to be as to look up at the sky. If you can count the stars, that's how many descendants you're going to have. 
you know. Oh, no, he keeps encouraging him with the promise and encouraging because Abraham keeps taking that next step of obedience and that next step of learning to worship in spirit and truth. So you know how to know if you're worshiping in spirit and truth? Listen to what comes out your mouth. When you're murmuring, complaining, gossiping, fussing, strifing, talking about people, you're not worshiping in spirit and truth. You're only worshiping when you make a decision, I'm going to sing a song or I'm going to go to church and sit in church. See, but a true worshiper, all day long, their mouth is talking about how good God is and obeying God. You don't get into strife with people. You don't gossip about people. You don't take drugs. You don't drink alcohol and get drunk and out like an idiot. You know? Your mouth is an instrument of worship. Your life is a sacrifice of worship. And you spend your days searching the Word of God. Say, how much more can I please you, God? What can I do more to please you? And see, He wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. But He can't do it if you don't meet the conditions. And so then when Abraham was 99 years old, and God said, this time next year, you have a son. Well, Sarah laughed. She'd done given up hope. She was 90 years old. You know, and so it doesn't matter how old we are. Don't matter how long we have to wait. It's worth it. When we get ourselves to the place that God can come to us and say, I'm going to give you your deepest heart's desire. It's worth whatever it took for us to get there. It's worth whatever it took to get there. This could be your year. This this Christmas could be your miracle Christmas. When you draw so close to God that God could come to you this Christmas and say, I'm going to give you your deepest heart's desire. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's to get out of poverty and be able to live. I've been rich and I've been poor. Rich is better. (laughs) When I couldn't go in the store and buy things and I had to. Fix, you know, gravy and bread for supper. Because that's all we had, you know. I don't have to do that anymore. The Lord has fulfilled every desire of my heart. The only thing I want now is to walk in more anointing. And to be used more. You know, Jerry uh, Porter, when he was here last weekend, powerful man of God. When we went to Pine Bluff Sunday night, he had more time to preach and prophesy because we were not on a time limit. And he gave a tremendous prophetic word over Donald Thelman over the city of Pine Bluff. But then he turned to me and Jerry down. He said, you have the spirit of Joshua. And your old years are going to be stronger than your young years. I believe it. I believe the word of God. I believe in our latter life. Jordan will be 70 this year. I'll be 69 this year. That we are going to be stronger in our 70s and 80s than we ever were in our younger life. A lot of people, when they get in their 70s and 80s, start thinking about, you know, I'm old and getting time for me to start getting ready to die. See, never. I never want to think like that. I want to walk and live in the anointing. I want to see more miracles in the next year. And I've seen in my whole life. I want to see more people set free. 
I want to see more people healed and delivered. And I want to see the promises of God come to pass in my life. The power of God. You know, I want to draw closer to God than I've ever been. Life is more exciting. Life is more needing of Jesus. The world needs Jesus so much. Such a sad world out there. And even the church has got into all that stupid fighting over politics and mess like that. That's not what the church is here for. The church is here to preach the good news. Heal the sick. Heal the brokenhearted. Not create division over politics and all that mess. Don't be deceived. Let's draw close to God. Let's let God give us the deepest desires of our heart. Let's let God give us a great name. Let's let God use us to, to bless us and bless other people. And that he fights our enemies. We don't have to fight them. Let's move this year, church. Let's move in the spirit this year. Let's get closer to God than we've ever been. Let's push forward. And it comes through obeying and laying your life down on that altar. And then God coming to us and giving us the next step. We obey. We lay our life down on that altar. Get the sin out of our lives. I don't care how long we live. I don't think I'll ever get all the sin out of my life. But I'm a whole lot closer than I used to be. Well, when I first got saved, hardest thing I did was quit cussing. Man, because that's a mouth sin. They're the hardest. I thought I'd never quit cussing. I had to battle. And I'd do all right till I got mad. Now, if I get mad, I'd cuss a blue streak. If I get mad enough today, I'll still cuss a blue streak. I don't get mad. You won't ever catch me mad. Because if I do, I'll lose control. Anger is a demon. You make me mad, I'm like Joseph. I'll leave my coat and run. You're not going to, you can't make me mad because I love God too much. I will completely lose control if I get mad. I don't get mad. But looking back on all those years, I thought that was an impossible sin for the Holy Ghost to kill in me. But he did. And there's been lots of other hard sins. Did you know people don't see Jesus in you because of your strengths? They see him because of your weaknesses. Where you were full of sin and Jesus came in and set you free. That's where they see Jesus. See, my family saw Jesus in me when I quit cussing. They didn't see Jesus in me because I said I loved God. They saw Jesus in me because he killed cussing in me. And so when you lay your life down on that altar, you let him kill your sin And it'll make your name great. People will see Jesus in you. And don't ever be ashamed of where God brought you from. I remember one time in a church service, we had taken up an offering to pay to get a man out of jail in our church. He had a fine. He couldn't get out of jail. And so Jordan was taking over. He said, how many of you have been in jail? Well, about half the congregation raised their hand. Your pastor's been in jail. Jordan's been in jail. For speeding. In Louisiana. <laughs> and, and, you know, in Louisiana, they'll just let you pay the cop the money. But uh, Jerdo wouldn't pay it, so they took him to jail. <laughs> he, could wall his be- he, could, he could wallpaper his bedroom wall with his speeding tickets when he was in 
But my dad was sitting there, and my dad was the superintendent of Thornton Schools for 42 years, and he was the mayor of town. He wouldn't stand up. I laughed at him after church, and I said, so you think you're so holy now you don't have a past? You went in the army because it was the army or jail. Don't ever let the devil make you ashamed of your past. Your past is your medal of honor, your trophy of grace. We've all got horrible pasts. And the people that don't think they have a past are the worst ones of all because theirs is pride. Holier than thou, Pharisee hypocrites. Oh, I hate that spirit of holier than thou, Pharisee hypocrites that think everybody else is bad and they're good. Oh, I hate that spirit. So you make your past your trophy of grace. You lay down on that altar, you let the Holy Ghost kill that sin. And you get up and you say like Paul, I was the worst sinner in the church, but God forgave me. I killed Christians and God forgave me. He was a murderer. He was a hypocrite Pharisee, evil to the core. He was standing there egging them on when they stoned uh, Stephen, the first martyr. And all the rest of his life, he said, I'm the most horrible person among you, but God forgave me. God forgave me. And God killed that sin in me. And see, if we keep doing that, we'll keep moving the next step forward. And in a few years, we won't even recognize ourselves, you know. So let's pray. Father, this Christmas, we need a miracle. And it can only come from you. Lead us down the road of obedience and worship, dying to sin. Then obeying and worshiping and dying to sin. And all the time you're coming along, giving us our next step, our next promise. Giving us the strength every time we lay ourselves down on that altar to kill the sin within us. And we do it, Lord, by loving you more and loving you more and loving you more and loving you more. Jesus said, when you love me, you obey me. So the more you obey, the more you love. And the more we love, the more power the Holy Spirit has to kill sin in us. And it brings us to our next step. To one of these days we'll be laying on that altar asking God to kill our sin. And the Lord will come and say... This is what I'm going to give you. And we will know it's our deepest heart's desire. And we know God will do it because he has never lied and never will. And he did it for Abraham. If he did it for one of his children, he'll do it for every single one that meets the requirements of drawing close to God. Lord, you said whatever we ask in prayer, believing, we receive. So this morning, we are receiving the strength. To obey you. To lay our life on that altar and let you kill our sin. And to hear you speak to us the promises that you have for us. Turn all of our weaknesses into strength. In the precious name of Jesus. Lord, it's all you. It's all you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you said you confirm your word. 
with signs following. I believe everyone that leaves here today that believe your word and that receive your word, they're going to see a miraculous sign in their life this week. Because you confirm your word with signs following. They're going to see a miracle in their life this week just because they believe your word and they obey. And we thank you in Jesus' name.